I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got Vince Nistico. Vince, how you doing? Doing great, JR. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you for being on the show. Um, just so, you know, for new listeners, uh, Merchants of Change is a show that's really built for new salespeople, people who are thinking about, you know, considering a career shift into sales. Um, and our mission at Shift Group is we help elite athletes and military veterans become elite sales professionals. Um, all, all of our guests are typically former athletes or veterans who, who've kind of, you know, had had success and, and spent some time in sales careers and in business. And for structure, we like to start with some sports background, uh, talk about your transition to sales, and then we really like to finish with some nuggets for the listeners. Um, sound like a plan? Sounds great. Let's do it. I love it. All right, great. Um, so this is a very broad question we start with. Uh, we want, I want to, I want to know when I ask you, like, what are some of your favorite memories of, of playing football? What, what comes to your, your brain right away? Sure. I think we, uh, this is about seven, eight years ago now, but do we all remember it was during March Madness. It was the Boston college kid. He's up on the podium and the interviewer asks, you know, what is he going to miss the most? And he like chokes up and he says, you know, having lunch with the guys or, you know, something to that effect is, uh, you know, that really resonated is, you know, of course there are the, you know, the huge wins are my junior year at Williams. We, we went undefeated and, you know, beating Trinity, you know, a team that had had our number the past couple of years is, you know, very, very memorable or uh, beating Amherst on their field, you know, to, to seal the deal, of course, or, are things that I'll never forget. But, you know, if I, if I write down my top 10 memories of, of Williams football, you know, most of them are either going to come, you know, in the, uh, in the dining hall or, you know, maybe watching film with the guys or, you know, a trip to, to Tufts or, you know, whatever it may be. It's, uh, you know, you go through, um, you know, you go through so many obstacles and, and tribulations with your teammates and, you know, people that you know that are equally as bought in as you are you know, are going through the same things is that, you know, that, that camaraderie itself is, is what's really special. You know, maybe, you know, not even so much the wins and losses. I couldn't agree more, man. Uh, that is hands down the most common answer we get. They miss, everybody misses the locker room, the times after practice, dining hall, all the things you said. Uh, we actually had a Trinity, a Trinity alum on here, uh, Mike Palladino. A fellow, a fellow Turbo alumni too. Oh, um, yep. Um, I wonder the name doesn't sound familiar. I'm not sure if our uh, yeah, I think I think he might be a little bit older than you. Okay, um, yeah. but I, I'm definitely going to clip this out and send it to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now looking back at those teammates, right? The teammates you had at Williams. When you think of some of your favorite teammates, what are some common characteristics that like you're the, the best folks that you played with all have in common? I think actually since entering the working world of um, 
just how special it is when you find colleagues and coworkers that are bought in the same way that you are into a, you know, a common goal and a, and a mission. I think in, you know, reflecting on which of my teammates, you know, stick out to me the most. It's ones that, you know, that I know that are in the trenches there with me. I, I did play in the offensive line. So not even so much that, you know, don't need to be a lineman, so to speak. Right. But, you know, who are the guys in the weight room or out on the track that are, you know, that are working hard, um, just as hard as, as all of us? Because, you know, those are the ones that are, you know, that always stick out and are memorable to me and, you know, still, you know, lifelong friends for sure. How do you think, um, how do you think your teammates from Williams would describe the type of teammate you were? So I, um, my father was a, a high school football coach. Uh, we, we played against one another more so than, you know, him ever coaching me, you know, outside of in the backyard. Um, so I, I think probably the first thing that would come, uh, you know, that my teammates would say is I, I very much fit the, you know, the coach on the field type, um, is it was, it was very rare that, you know, anybody knew, you know, maybe scheme or what we were looking to accomplish, you know, from an X's and O's perspective, maybe better than, than I did. Um, but I, I definitely uh, had a little bit of a leg up of, you know, can remember from as uh, as young as I can, you know, maybe remember watching things on TV of, you know, sitting next to my dad as he diagnosed film of that. You know, it, it's something that's uh, I've uh, it's always come natural, I think, you know, because of that uh, that background and experience. Dude, that's awesome. So so your dad, my dad was a high school hockey coach. Yeah. So like I, I I can relate to your childhood in a in a really unique way, but, but you didn't play for him. You played against him. Played against him. Um, we, we were two and two versus one another. Um, but we whooped up on him pretty badly. My senior year, we won 41 to seven that year, which was, uh, which was pretty, uh, pretty satisfying. Oh man. Well, I hope you guys didn't play on Thanksgiving. It wasn't like a, a huge rivalry, was it? It, it was, it was a rivalry. It wasn't our Thanksgiving day game, you know, it was a little bit earlier in the season. Um, but, you know, definitely one of the ones that I would have had circled on my calendar, you know, anyway, even if, you know, dad wasn't on the other sideline. That is awesome. Does he still coach or did he retire? Uh, <laughs> uh, as you could probably, you know, relate in, uh, to your own father, JR is like, my dad can't stop coaching. He's just a coach. So, you know, he's, he was coaching girls softball for a little while, girls lacrosse. He just can't stop coaching. You know, it's just who he is. Um, but he's, he's hung up the, uh, the football whistle. Um, yeah. So, so, and, and I, like, I don't know your dad, but I know my dad. So my dad retired, uh, from high school hockey, um, a while ago. And, and it was good timing as like, I don't know if he could get away with some of the stuff he used to do, used to do anymore. But we, like, may, we may need to um, you know, clip this part out. But my my dad says he doesn't. That's the, the hardest challenge today is that there's a, uh, as he would describe it, a sense of entitlement. Yes, that, you know, maybe didn't exist before. Totally, um, that just makes it you know extremely extremely challenging. Is that the? And actually, I think um, he, he puts it very well. Of that, there's this inherent like sacrifice that you need to understand as an athlete. And that's yes. whether it's an individual sport or a team sport. And he says that, you know, it's that, that, uh, that element of sacrifice, you know, being willing to, you know, to give up something from your, from yourself for the greater good that's, that's missing. Yeah. And, and like, not for nothing, it's not the kids that are, it's not the kids fault that they're entitled. 
that doesn't that's not where it comes from right um, absolutely not my, my but my, when my dad retired so in in Massachusetts high school hockey starts the Monday after Thanksgiving because because fo- after football season literally the the first Tuesday after Thanksgiving that my dad wasn't coaching my mom literally sat him down and was like you need to get the hell out of the <laughs> Get the hell out of those. So, like, he, he ended up now he coaches junior hockey. He's been coaching uh-huh. junior hockey for 10 years because my, uh-huh. my mom yeah. couldn't deal with him. You got to uh, go do something. Yeah. No, it's 100%. Once a coach, it always makes coach. wonder when, you know, you see some guys, NFL, I'm sure it happens in the NHL as well, of that they retire, but then the retirement only lasts about half the season. Yeah. And you have to think of how much of it is like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm going to have to stay at home now, you know, type of thing. Totally, totally. Like you got a head coach becoming offensive coordinator just because they don't want to go home. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's let's kind of move into the transition. So you're you're on the field, last game of college career at you know probably at Amherst. Yeah. Um, and I bet you're just like secretly dreaming of putting on a headset, yeah. getting your Salesforce.com login credentials, right? Like so, so obviously that's a joke, but like. Tell, tell me, you went to an unbelievable college. Um, what happened that kind of landed you in sales? And were there other careers that you explored in the process? Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, Jay, similar to Holy Cross, of that you go to places like Williams or Holy Cross, and there's what you should be doing, right? Whether that's, you know, the consulting route or, you know, investment banking or, you know, finance in any capacity. Um, and, and I think that that's, that was the expectation that I had sort of of myself, but not for any, you know, good reason, of course. Um, and, you know, with that had, had struck out with a lot of the, you know, bigger name consultancies or, you know, and investment banks. Ironically, I was, I was hired by an Amherst golfer, um, who, uh, their recruiting strategy, very similar to Shift, to, uh, Shift Group, was to reach out to NESCAC ADs, you know, find out who the seniors were that were, uh, you know, that were still on the job market. And, you know, that was essentially their candidate list. Um, and that was with a, a private equity firm in, in Boston called HIG Capital. Oh, yeah. Um, and unlike, you know, maybe more of the traditional uh, investment banking or private equity roles out of uh, out of school, a little bit less connected with the financial modeling, you know, yeah. valuation side of things, but more of uh, sourcing. So, you know, I was reaching out to owners of you know businesses to gauge their interest of you know bringing on an investment partner. Yeah. Um, you know, with that is you of course still get exposure to a lot of the you know the financial components of things. I think the strongest testament that I could give to that experience is that I would go and do it again, just because I think it, it was so foundational in the way that I think about, you know, maybe business or, you know, trying to align or understand, you know, strategic initiatives of any of my prospects. Um, I think it was a, yeah, a great, uh, a great experience. I just didn't quite fall in love with it enough you know, to, to really invest and commit to, you know, going the business school route and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. That that sourcing job is, you know, you're you're banging the phones, you're you're, yep. you're getting meetings, and and you're calling executives and owners. So now that I didn't know that, now that I know that, um, I remember your early days at Turbo being very strategic and enterprise driven, and now that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. 
let's talk a little bit. So I want to ask you some questions about the early days of your selling career. What, what were some of the highlights? What were some of the lowlights, some of the challenges? As far as highlights, you know, I, I think of, you know, the the bet and investment that Chris Reising, you know, took on me and, and helped, you know, bringing me and, and Justin uh, Kudicherry to, to help start that global accounts team. Yep. It, you know, it was, uh, I'm you know, very grateful and fortunate for that. It, you know, gave me exposure and an opportunity to make a, you know, a big impact at, you know, at VM Turbo. Um, you know, it didn't, you know, end, you know, maybe as anybody had wanted, but to, you know, to be able to get exposure and sit in the same room as, you know, IBM or Microsoft executives, it, it was uh, an awesome, you know, awesome, awesome learning experience. You know, everybody at VM Turbo was, was learning on the fly. You know, we were changing <laughs> and fixing the engine as we were driving down the highway type of thing. Um, but I think to, it, you know, really helped, I think, you know, build my confidence that it was something that I could do. Um, and I think more so than anything, it, it helped me realize why I liked selling, which I think is is important, um, you know, for, for anybody that's looking to get into sales to maybe understand of what is it about selling that, you know, that maybe invigorates you or excites you. Because, you know, I think it's very, you know, common of you know, thinking of sales of the, you know, sort of the stereotypical tropes that, you know, that everybody does. And I certainly, you know, myself, I was no different in thinking that way. But I think, you know, having done what we did with those MSPs at VM Turbo, it really made me realize what I actually liked about it was how systematic and like process driven it all could be of that, you know, okay, we have to, you know, start here and climb up the chain, go laterally this way. You you know, you sort of start to see this puzzle, you know, forming. Um, And that was the thing that got me invigorated because it allowed me to still be strategic. and, and use my critical thinking skills, which is, you know, for, I would certainly consider myself maybe more of the, like the silent assassin sales type opposed to the, you know, let's go and rub elbows and, you know, maybe, um, you know, be more of your friend, you know, again, I'm just drawing extremes here, but it, it's, uh, it allowed me to, to apply, you know, my, my critical thinking skills and, you know, ways that I've, I've found success being very process driven. Totally. Totally. Um, it's, uh, I remember that too, by the way, cause Justin was a rep on my team and Chris approached me and kind of told me, and you know, the thing about Chris Reisig is when you look back at what he was doing, he was right. You know what I mean? He was just, he was just a little earlier than, than everybody else was ready for, but ultimately he was on the right track. And of course I do not take a single ounce of credit for it, but I, I, I would be lying if I said it wasn't satisfying to see that IBM bought you guys. I, yes, you know, I agree. I agree hundred percent. Um, for, unfortunately the right people have told, told Chris, Hey, you were right. I'm sorry about what happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> now t- tell me a little bit. So you're, you're, I want to know how you ended up at VM Turbo to begin with. You were at HIG and then how did Turbo get on your radar? So we, I think VM Turbo was on the seventh floor of that, of 500 Boylston. Yes. I was seven two floors above you guys oh. at HIG. Um, so it was the role there that I was in. It was, you know, pretty well established that it was a two, maybe three year role. And then you sort of, you know, branch out from there. Um, so, you know, had looked back of, you know, maybe going into consulting, continuing down the finance path. But, you know, and Boston still has this, uh, you know, a very bustling tech scene. 
Um, and so, you know, decided to, to throw my hat in the ring and interview for some, um, uh, introductory, you know, BDR type roles. And, you know, you go in the elevator and you see these VM turbo guys and you see like the type of energy that, you know, is radiating off of you. Yeah. It was, it was hard to not be attracted to that, you know, and then you, you get off on the, you know, off the elevator and you walk through those doors and, and you see, um, you know, you see everybody working, you know, the way that they, that the way that they are, you know, having the dials and the demos set and the deals closed, you know, on the boards there. It's, uh, you know, you're, especially as an athlete, you're either, are you one that's running into the fire or running away from it? Um, and I'm someone who, who runs towards it. And it was almost like, a you know, a fly to a, um, you know, to one of those lights in the backyard, you know, it was, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't stay away. It was, it was an awesome culture for the right people. That's for sure. Um, and thinking of that, right. I think it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of people started their really started their sales career there that have gone on to a ton of success. And I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the characteristics about that company. Um, now if a Williams football player called you up and said, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking of going into sales. Mm -hmm. What's, what's like your coaching to that person? How are you going to, what kind of questions are you going to ask them to, to help them decide if sales is the right path for them? Sure. Uh, and this is something, JR, that you and I, I think, uh, feel very similarly about in reading some of your LinkedIn posts of that, whether you're in sales or any other role, you're selling. I always joke with my friends that life is one big sales call and the quicker that you identify it, the better you'll be. Um, so I, I think that I would be very encouraging of that, whether it is, a, you know, sales and your, you know, individual contributor, you're going to be selling in whatever role that you are. You could be, you know, think about maybe something that is the least sale or at least connected with sales of like being a doctor. You're selling your expertise of, you know, for your uh, diagnoses and maybe treatment plans, you know, is that you're always selling regardless of the role that you're in. And, and again, couldn't agree more with maybe some of your perspectives on that. Um, but I think that it's, and I had mentioned it, you know, maybe before as far as, are you the type of person that runs towards the fire or away from it? Is I think that I would, you know, implore that person to, to really have a, you know, have a, a sit down with themselves and, and ask which one of those people that you are yep. is that you have to deal with rejection far, far more than you're getting, you know, affirmation in sales. There is a very, very high degree of accountability and, you know, there's, there is a scoreboard. Um, and, you know, I think in framing it that way, there's, you know, people that would, you know, maybe be a little bit scared off from it or people who, you know, would, you know, have the, who have that, uh, perpetual chip on their shoulder of like what you're trying to tell me that I can't do it. Um, and there's nothing wrong being either of those, you know, people, but I, I feel like that that's a, uh, you know, sort of one of those gut check maybe moments, you know, or things that I, I would really, you know, have that person, you know, consider for themselves. Yeah. Um, two comments. The first part about like everybody sells, that's, I mean, the, the data tells us that on the lowest end in any profession, you spend 40% of your time convincing, motivating, and persuading people to take action. That's, I mean, that's sales, right? So that's the lowest end, 40%. On, on the higher end, you're, you're an attorney, you're a doctor, you know, those type HR. Those types yeah. of roles are more like 80, 90%. You just don't have a quota and there's no scoreboard. <laughs> right. But trust me, you're selling, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So, so I love that you, you mentioned that. And then I, I love, I love how you're thinking about like, you, you got to be comfortable betting on yourself every single year. You're going to put up 50% of your potential compensation mm-hmm. on yourself. It's like, can you do this or can't you, if yeah. that's uncomfortable for you, then, you know, maybe, maybe look in a different direction. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to be a little, a tiny bit crazy at least, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to maybe put it, uh, put it nicely, but Absolutely. Uh, oh, with yeah. that, with that said, and I, and I think to, is that there's a tremendous amount of, you know, reward on the other side of, you know, if you commit, you know, you commit yourself, if you don't fall asleep at the wheel and, you know, you continue to, to get better and, you know, know where you are, maybe a little bit weaker, um, is that, you know, sales offers a great opportunity to get a lot of reps, yes. you know, of, you know, what a lot of reps at discovery calls to get better at initial pitches, uh, demos, proposal presentations, is that there's a lot of opportunity to go back and look at the game tape. This is where I can get better. Is and I think for you know for me it's uh, it's something that excites me is because there's this there's this very consistent feedback loop, right? Or even if that's just getting hung up on when you're making a cold, cold call or you don't get the best response to a cold email, like all of those things are data points for you to you know to consume and you know be able to get better. I love it. I love it. That that mindset is the difference between mediocre and successful right there. Every day is an opportunity. You either win or you learn. That's yep. it. Um, yep. Love it. Uh, now, the way our program works is usually uh, these athletes or veterans go through. We, we typically don't have an exclusive agreement. So usually they're, they're, they're interviewing in multiple places. And they usually end up with two or three offers. How would you coach somebody at like 23, 24 years old, fresh out of sports? How would you coach someone on selecting a place to start their career at? What should they care about? Tom had, had asked uh, you know, me this a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I feel like I didn't have the best answer. So I've really been thinking about it. And the, the first thing is, I think, to, to really make sure that they understand that there's no wrong answer of big company, small company, medium-sized company, is that I think to, to put companies in boxes like that, you, you're probably going to get yourself in trouble is that, you know, really understanding the team that you're on, you know, their success, the way that they think about continuous improvement and learning is paramount. I think that is, you know, for me, definitely number one. As I've continued in my sales career, something that I've, I now look for and is maybe even uh, higher on the list than that is what do, what do the customers say about that company? You know, what is, what is their support like? What does ongoing optimization of the tool of the platform look like? Is that, you know, as sellers, especially for, you know, people, uh, ushering in maybe something new, right? Like a, like a VM turbo is that there's a big leap of faith that, you know, the best salespeople can help, uh, you know, customers overcome sometimes is that there's no better, you know, there's no easier way to sell than when you have, you know, a horde of, um, you know, successful and happy cu- uh, customers behind you. And those happy customers are indicative of the culture of that company. Are you customer driven or are you just, you know, trying to sell, sell, sell right at the expense of customers being successful? Um, so that, that's always, that's uh, something that I've learned to be, you know, very, very important. Um, you know, when looking at a company, um, 
And then, you know, the things as far as like repetitment, right? You know, what does a, you know, attrition look like? Um, and then, you know, there are things like, you know, like territory that people talk about. I, I maybe don't prescribe to that quite as much. Of course, there's some signal to that, but you know, there's just, that's an opportunity, that's an opportunity, right? If it's a yeah. territory that's not performing, it's, we'll go make it perform. You know, totally. type. Um, yeah. so, but, uh, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm sorry, but yeah, I, I feel, uh, you know, some of the things that come to mind. No, that's, I mean. Candidly, nobody's said that answer on the customer side. And I actually think that's really good advice um, because that's a very good indicator of, of what type of organization you're joining. If, if you're going on their website, and you don't see any testimonials. That's not that's not a great sign. I think uh, to that, JR, that's actually one of the things that I took from my experience at HIG is that one of the fundamental questions we'd always used to ask ourselves when looking at a company was, are they product driven? sales driven or customer success driven. Now that doesn't mean if you're one, you can't be others, right. but that, you know, if, you know, sort of ranking those and, and looking at those critically was a, you know, a very handy, uh, handy way to, you know, to, uh, to look at a company and their makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to your point, you can be all three and mm-hmm. that comes down to like what you said about like team, team culture, like micro, micro culture versus macro culture. Like the yep. company as a whole, whereas like you can have a great sales organization, a great product organization, and a great customer organization. Yep. Um, and ideally, you want to hit all three. But I love the idea of like leading with that customer first. Yep. Um, now, if you were going to publish, you know, the 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 Vince sales playbook, um, what what are some of the principles that we'd find in that playbook? And these aren't in any specific order, and maybe a little bit, um, you know, tailored to myself. And I think one of the things at VM Turbo that was a challenge just because I was so new to sales and that motion with those MSPs was new yeah. was I didn't know how to be intentional with our prospects, like intentional of guiding them through the buying process, being intentional of helping them see around corners that they don't even know to look around, you know, to be a trusted advisor. Of I think of the ways now that my, my success that I've, I've I've had fortunately is so tied to knowing the product extremely well, what the implementation motion looks like, where are the areas that implementations go wrong so I can help customers get ahead of those things before they become a problem is that being intentional in everything that I do is, is very important. Now I was describing it within the context of customers, but like you have to be intentional of working with your SDRs of developing, you know, account plans and cadences or intentional of um, you know, knowing, knowing what's, you know, onboarding or your customer success engagements look like with customers post-sale or intentional about going to Gong and listening to your recordings, you know, and being uncomfortable of hearing yourself talk on those recordings because those are the things you need to do to be better. So, you know, definitely being intentional is, would be one chapter for, uh, for me personally, patient, being patient, it would be number two. Is that, you know, I think uh, as early as salespeople, especially early on in your career, we're very reactionary, right? Yeah. A customer says something, we want to address it. You know, it's that's, you know, typically what uh, what happens first of, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong of taking a deep breath or being patient as far as you get asked a, a product question of, hey, I don't know. You know, thanks for bearing with me while I go get you the right answer, you know, that I can stand behind. Um, 
And then the final one, JR, and I think the one most important is uh, being authentic, you know, just being yourself. Um, is it okay if I plug a, a book, a sales book? No, go ahead. Um, so, uh, and these, these guys spoke at Service Titans SKO this past year. Uh, the book is called The Unsold Mindset by Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown. Uh, it's a, a wonderfully refreshing sales book and they're where the book starts and it's, you know, core tenant, you know, throughout is being authentic and that, you know, you can't, I could never be J.R. Butler as a salesperson is that I'm, you know, I'm not J.R. I'm, I'm Vince. What I can do, however, is, you know, learn things from J.R. and from Chris Reisig and from, you know, other leaders and adapt that and mold it into, you know, into who I am as a person and as a seller. Um, and I think that it's been it's been very, very important for uh, for me to, to be myself and, and not someone that, you know, maybe I'm not uh, particularly as a salesman. Totally. It's uh, our, our three core values as a company and, and what we make our candidates commit to our accountability, coachability and authenticity. I think authenticity is critical. And the reason I, the reason I was laughing so hard um, was was your second your second bucket of patience. Yeah. I'm just I was laughing about patience in the context of VM Termo yeah, right. <laughs> because we all we all know what the patience was there. No, it's, uh, and and that's a, and that's something with um you know with any high growth you know startup or environment like that is that you you're going 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 all the time is that to take your foot off the gas is so unnatural just yeah. because of of the way that things progress or maybe that company strategy pivots is that it is, it's very, it's very hard, you know, and we're laughing about it because it is funny as hell, but it's, uh, it's, oh, it's important to remember that, you know, it's okay to take a breath sometimes. Uh, I'll never forget. I was living in Southie. I was like two and a half years into to working at Turbo and I, and I had to like let someone into my house to do some work. So I was driving into the office at 8.15 uh -huh. and I felt so behind on my yeah. day. Because it was eight, it was eight fifteen, which yeah. like now I'm like forty years old. I'm looking back at that. I'm like that yep. is not that is not normal, dude. <laughs> uh, we were on the phones before seven, you know, yep. cracking. I, I remember there was there was one time and um, it was like seven forty five, and I hadn't gotten into the office yet. And Ryson calls me. He's like, "You sick? Are you okay? Like, where are you know?" It's and, and and I I owe a lot to Chris. It's not a shot on Chris, but I just I remember that in particular. It's you know those uh, those environments they bring something out of you for sure. They do, they do. Um, so I, we always talk. I, I'm a big, and I think you probably remember this. Like I'm a big like operating rhythm, operating cadence, um, and I think it's so critical. It's, it's actually one of the one of the core tenets of like when people ask us why do you focus on athletes, why do you focus on veterans. One of the things we talk about is like these these guys and girls are used to structure mm -hmm. and sales has a it has a, a little bit of a stigma like, oh, it's a, you're, you have all this autonomy. Like all it is is like you got to hit your number at the end of the quarter. Mm -hmm. But you and I both know the people that are successful. It doesn't happen by accident. Right. Broken clock is right twice a day, but isn't right consistently. And somebody somebody with structure and operating rhythm is going to be right more than they're going to be wrong. Can you talk a little bit about how you structure your work day and your week? Sure, absolutely. I think uh one thing that I've I've uh worked really hard to improve on over the past several years is 
blocking off time for certain things, certain points of the day of how easy it is to maybe be distracted of here, I'm going to answer a customer email. Now this slack internally, then make this call that I needed to make of that, you know, having, uh, being like ping ponged around, you know, sort of like that was like one of the quickest ways for me to get stressed, you know, disorganized, forget things. So I think, you know, for, you know, first and foremost, and as for advice is whether it's cold calling, right? Um, you know, addressing or answering internal slacks, right? Doing, um, you know, doing customer emails, you know, listening to gong calls or, you know, or whatever they're recording, you know, maybe platform you're using is that to set certain times of the day for certain things. Uh, with, with that said is that, you know, maybe, uh, the thing that governs always is, is what I'm doing, either driving revenue or protecting revenue in some way. Yeah. Uh, if there's an issue with, you know, with implementation that needs my attention because there's a churn risk or, you know, um, is that, you know, that demands my, you know, demands my attention is that, you know, as sellers, we have a revenue responsibility. So, you know, those are, um, you know, always going to guide me, you know, first and foremost. I love it. Um, it's, uh, it's so true. And, and, and it's going to be different in every sales job because you're, the personas you're calling are different. The product you're selling is different. Like in, in some spaces, like seven to nine, that's the best time to catch somebody. Mm -hmm. In other spaces, it's like, hey, you want to catch them in the afternoon. So like, it's not about having the same structure. It's about having a structure. Yep. And then I like that protecting revenue. That's a good, that's a good term. I've never, I've never heard that. I like that. Yep. Um, now looking at like your career, um, you, you did, you did the uh, sh kind of shorter stints at like Oracle, Toast, VM Turbo, and and then you landed at Service Titan. It's a great company. Um, what clicked for you there that's led you to be there for almost six years, Vince? Like, what what about Service Titan is driving that? Yep. And uh, so, Jr., you had said uh, uh, just now of the way that athletes and veterans that they thrive under structure. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, still to this day, for me, school was easier, surprisingly, during the season than, you know, in the spring. I can relate the to that. The game was, is like, okay, get done classes, go to practice. I have no choice but to then eat dinner and do my homework. There's no, there's no other time to do anything else. Yeah. Whereas in the spring, classes end, you know, now instead of a three-hour practice, we have an hour and a half workout. So now I can play video games for a little while. And that just, you know, it's, it's, is that, uh, structure is, is very, you know, very important to me. I, you know, hand raised there for sure. Um, and I think of, uh, you know, my roles at, at VM Turbo, where it was a newer team with maybe a less defined motion than, you know, on, you know, your team or even Kranowitz's enterprise team. Um, at Toast, I was their, you know, their first enterprise hire. So, you know, really helping them break into that. So, you know, still learning a lot, um, and doing a lot. But again, there wasn't, these are the steps to success. Um, Oracle was, you know, the other end of that spectrum of, yeah. of too, of too much for me, you know, especially at that point in my career. And I think that I just, I found this perfect balance at Service Titan. Um, you know, I was employee, you know, just north of 400 or so, but I walked into a, a corporate sales motion that was tried and true and, you know, very well defined. 
Um, and I found a lot of comfort um, and success in that, you know, fortunately. I think also another big thing was uh, the customer base is that, you know, tradespeople are, you know, very, very blue collar and no nonsense. Um, and I had mentioned how my father's a coach is that I'm very much like a, you know, a no sir, yes ma'am type person. Um, and that's, uh, it seemed to align very, you know, very well with the personas and the people that I'm, you know, partnering with at, uh, at Service Titan. So, so the key words you said, everything you described, you said, for me, for me, for me. Yep. It's, it's, this is what makes me angry is these broad statements that people make, like big companies are better, yep. smaller companies are better, public companies are better. Venture, none of that is true. It's all about you as the individual. And, and it changes over time too, right? Like you're going to get to a point in your career where you're going to want to go build something and, and create something from scratch. Yep. And that's going to happen. That These are normal cycles that we go through in our lives. And that's the key, right? It, it's it's really the Goldilocks, the Goldilocks approach. It's yeah. like this, this porridge is too hot, this porridge is too cold, this porridge is just right. And service titan right now for you is just right. And that's that's what you it starts with kind of, you know, you gotta grow up a little bit and do some self-discovery and, and learn about what, what's right for you. But I'm so glad that you put it in that frame because that's what that's what people need to understand is it's it's different for everybody, like anything else. And I think Jr. One one uh, final thing of the the grass isn't always greener, you know. And and I think uh, to continue with the for me theme is understanding what parts of the grass are important for you for it to be green, right? Is that is that you know service titan as with any company, you know, there's always opportunities to get better. And depending whether you spoke to me or somebody maybe in customer success or product or HR is that their view on, you know, how green certain things are would be different than mine. And, um, but it, it's finding, you know, what parts of the, of that lawn do I need to be green? And once, you know, once you find that, which isn't any easy task within itself. No, so, you know, definitely don't want to frame it that way. But I've, I've found that at, at service Titan and it's, uh, it's, just, it's been very refreshing because it's, you know, this is the thing I'm supposed to be throwing myself at. It, it's like anything else, right? Going to the wrong company is hard. Yep. Determining what makes a company the right company is hard. Choose your hard, right? Like you got you to gotta kind of make that decision. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that bounced around in 2021 when, when money was being thrown around for free that wish that they, they had kind of taken a step back and really thought like, is a 30K jump on my OTE enough for me to, to make this move? And a lot yep. of people regret that. So good advice. Hopefully the problem is people have short memories, so I'm sure it'll happen yeah. again. <laughs> I think, uh, and, and JR, if I, if I could, I think that that advice is particularly important for SDRs. Yes. That have spent a year, 18 months, two years of under, learning a product, understanding your customer base, their pain points, and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm no exception. I know that I've, I've felt this way of you, you, you get, uh, impatient or feels if, you know, Hey, that should have been my AE job or, you know, this promise wasn't matter, things like that. There's always a breaking point. Of course, you know, you have to defend your, you know, things like that, but always, you know, just remember that you've invested a lot, you know, in an expertise here is that there is a lot more to gain of waiting six more months for that AE job. Then go learning a whole new customer base, 
a whole new product and then try to go be an AE in, you know, in that environment. That's really timely advice, Vince, because there's a lot of companies that had to stall that promotion track because of the market. And there's a lot of impatient SDR, BDRs out there that are coming you know, to us even and saying, hey, I, I, I'm ready to be an AE. Like, what's out there? And I try to, I try to tell them that. So I'm probably going to clip this, clip yeah. that clip right there. Please do. It's, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's very, it's, it's certainly important. It's, uh, it. yeah. So, so Vince, awesome combo. We got, these are the two final questions. We ask every guest these questions. Yep. If we asked you to highlight one of your skills that's, that makes you elite in sales, what would your like one skill be? You think? Let's go to question two first. Perfect. All right. Um, at Shift Group, when someone's operating at the highest level, right? And we, one of the reasons we choose athletes and veterans is because I don't have to explain what this, what this statement means. We say that they're dialed in and they understand that. But everybody has a different view on, on what it means to be dialed in as a sales professional. What's it mean to you? You can't fall asleep at the wheel. Is that, uh, one of our, uh, you know, sort of our core tenants and mottos for the sales team at, at Service Titan is entitled to nothing, grateful for everything. And I think that balancing, you know, humility and hunger is very important. Is that, you know, there are going to be times when things are going, you know, very well and you think that you have it figured out and maybe you do to a certain degree. But it's, you know, to to continue to dig deep and, you know, remember what got you there is that fire, right? To to continue to succeed and don't lose that is that I don't think that you can be dialed in and, you know, not have a hunger to get better, right? To and, you know, to continuously improve. I love that. Entitled to nothing, grateful for everything. Yep. Dude, I might get that tattooed. That's freaking awesome. I love that. I love that. Our CRO uh, played uh, rugby at Cal. Um, and um, yeah, Ross Beastman is a, a great, great leader. I'm very fortunate to, you know, to have him leading our ship. Um, but yeah, one of the things that he brought, uh, you know, to service site when he came and it's, uh, you know, it, it brings true, whether you're in sales or not, I feel like that's a great, uh, you know, motto to keep in the back of your head. I love it. I love it. You want to come back to the skill that makes you elite, Vince? What do you got? We all have our like our sales sort of quiver, right? And how many arrows do we have in it? And those arrows just represent times that we were told no or objections that we had to get past is that I have a, a really, really strong ability of remembering those things and being able to pull out the right arrow at the right time. And I think that that's, a, you know, that's a product of like being intentional about, you know, listening to uh, top performers calls, right? Um, or, you know, my own calls or understanding the objections that, you know, my colleagues and peers are facing day in and day out is because, you know, sales is just a series of objecting ha objection handling, right? Is, well, what about this or no, because, right? Is so the more arrows that you have in your quiver, the better that you're going to be. Um, and to take it back of, you know, one of those core principles in the Vince, you know, sales Bible, is like, I'm very intentional about continuing to put more arrows in that quiver. I love that. That's great. Great analogy. Vince, this was an awesome conversation, man. Thank yeah. you so much for joining. Hashtag required listening for sure. Really awesome. appreciate your time, buddy. No, likewise, JR. Thanks so much. 
This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io. 